listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, March the 14th in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And as is our custom on Mondays, we like to take a look at the readings for the coming Sunday, which just so happens to be the third Sunday in Lent, March the 20th in the year of our Lord, 2022. The the readings are from Luke chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 10, and the one we're going to be looking at is Ezekiel chapter 33, beginning with verse 7. Now, this program is called Law and Gospel, and Law and Gospel is not just something that is spoken of in the New Testament it's found throughout the Old Testament also. So we're going to take a look here. How do we find law and gospel in the book of Ezekiel, uh, chapter 33? So God is speaking to Ezekiel, and he says much the same thing that he said last week to Jeremiah. He says, So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Now, what's a watchman? Well, a watchman might be somebody who's standing on the wall and looking for enemies to come uh, to attack the cities. And therefore, they were watching to warn people about upcoming danger. And that's what God was using Ezekiel for. Continuing, whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. So how did Ezekiel hear words from the mouth of the Lord? Well, first of all, Ezekiel was not the first book of the Old Testament. You had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Number, Deuteronomy, and there was a lot of information about God's desire for people to follow his will. Because when he set up the universe, he set up certain laws, not only scientific kind of laws like gravity, you uh, jump out of a window, you're going to fall down to the ground, but also what we would say laws of integrity, laws which we're dealing with how we are to behave in this world. And if the wicked do not listen to God, then there are consequences built in to creation, and they are very negative. But he says in verse 8, If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. What does that mean? Well, This would be a good message, not just for pastors, not just for teachers, but also for parents. As you raise your children, you are to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
nurture means the comfort that they get from God, particularly in trusting in Jesus Christ, and the admonition to not fall into the ways of Satan so that negative consequences will not occur in their life. Now, if parents don't warn their children, well, then the blood of the children will be required at the hand of the parents. I saw a movie not long ago where a young boy, and he was only about a teenager, he would be woken up in the morning by his father in order to start drinking and smoking drugs with his father. That's what the father thought was good for his son. And of course, that father will be held responsible for what the son ended up doing. That wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but the blood will be required at the hand of those who refuse to counsel them. That, that's kind of what we're doing with Proverbs written by Solomon. Solomon continues to counsel his son and other sons about the ways of the Lord. And he tells him, this is what the Lord desires you so to do, so that you will have a full life. And a lot of times when we sin, we are unaware of the negative consequences that may occur in our life, but they certainly will happen. Now, verse 9, though, continues. If you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. So in a congregation, for example, it is important that discipline be practiced. And sometimes it will necessitate the excommunication of an individual who is found to be unrepentant concerning a specific sin. If a person is repentant of that sin, then you cannot excommunicate them. But excommunication simply means because they are unrepentant, they are unable to take the Lord's Supper. They cannot commune with the rest of the congregation. And that's why in every Lord's Supper, we always have a confession of sin and an absolution that is based upon the confession of that sin. There are occasions when a pastor might be working privately with, say, a couple of members of the congregation. Let's say they're not married, but they're still living together. He may do what's called a smaller ban, where he will not commune them while they're continuing to talk about it, but then if they still refuse to repent of that sin, then he will bring it to the congregation for excommunication. So Ezekiel is being given instructions from God himself, and he's the son 
of man. Verse 10, And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus have you said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? And so that is, no doubt, an understanding of sinners, that when they sin, well, they may end up in jail, or they may end up with people not appreciating them. And therefore, how can they continue to live? Well, say to them, God says to to Ezekiel, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Now, what we have here is a great definition of what it means to repent. It doesn't mean that we can stop sinning, because this side of heaven, we will always be sinning because of our old Adam. But to turn from our way, Jesus talks about the two ways. Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, talks about the two ways. Uh, Jesus talked about the narrow way, which is faith in him, And then there's the broad way where we think we're saved by our own works. Well, turn from that way and look to God for your salvation because you cannot save yourself. And this is important that God says he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked and he desires them to repent, and that can occur. We pastors can give you a lot of stories about people who were living in sin, and we got to speak with them, and by God's grace, the Holy Spirit moved them to repent of that sin, and indeed, they were forgiven that sin. Now we get into some long gospel with verse 12. And you, son of man, say to your people, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses. Now, if that isn't absolutely correct, even though Every other religion in the entire world outside of Christianity believes that the righteousness that I exhibit will deliver me when I transgress. How do we ever get that opinion? It's because that's our experience. For example, our parents are not happy when we're in school and maybe we're not doing very good on a test. Maybe it's history or mathematics or something to do with science. And so we study harder 
And then when we get an A on the next test, our parents are very happy with us. We would say, see, that was me working hard to improve myself. And therefore, the righteousness I followed in studying harder, that delivers me from my parents' criticism. See, that, that works in all kinds of areas of life, but it doesn't work with God. Because the righteous of the righteous will never deliver you when you transgress. Why? Because what God looks at is not just the good work you're doing, but the motivation behind it. And therefore, if it's a righteousness based on your will, based on what you're able to do, not on what Jesus Christ has done for you, that is not properly motivated. There's only two kinds of good works, and they're named differently. The one good work is what anybody can do, including an atheist. An atheist can give food to the poor and help build houses, give money to the hospitals, but he does that to make him feel himself good, that he looks good in the eyes of others. In contrast, the Christian is motivated by his love for Jesus Christ. So when we see our neighbor in need, we follow the example of Jesus and attempt to help out our neighbor. Now, that will not deliver us from our transgressions because we have already been delivered by the death of Jesus Christ. But the more that we believe in him, which means the more we trust his work for saving us, the more we desire to do good works on his behalf. And they don't deliver us from our transgressions because we're doing them because we've already been delivered from transgressions with the forgiveness as sins. Then he goes on, continuing with verse 12. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness. And the righteous shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins. So, just as the righteous cannot be saved by pretending to become righteous, so also the wicked cannot offset his sins by doing good works. God cannot be bought off. God instead forgives you because through Jesus Christ, you trust the righteousness of him. Verse 13, though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, yet, now here it comes, if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice, none of his righteous deeds shall be remembered. 
but in his injustice that he has done, he shall die. Wow, that, that's a great passage. Verse 13 of Ezekiel 33. If you trust in your own righteousness, particularly as you continue to sin, then none of this righteousness you think you're doing will be remembered by God. But in that injustice that you have done, you shall die. Verse 14, again, though I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And that's referring, of course, to eternal damnation. Yet, if he turns from his sin, now, that's really the definition of the word repentance. It's a turning from sin through repentance, being sad that you have broken the will of Jesus Christ. Therefore, when you turn from your sin and then do what is just and right, and that includes repentance, if the wicked restores the pledge, namely the promise he had given God, we, we give promises like in confirmation, but the promise is not based on my own will, but on the will of God, that I promise to follow the word of God as he gives me strength to do so. God is always the one that we turn to for help. So if the wicked restores his promises and gives back what he has taken by robbery and walks in the statutes of life, not doing injustice, he shall surely live, he shall not die. A good example of that in the New Testament is when one of the tax collectors came to believe in Jesus, he gave fourfold back of what he had stolen from people in taxation. And he did that because of his love of Jesus Christ. He realized how much Jesus had restored him back to life. As Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And out of thankfulness to Jesus, he was therefore very much in gratitude towards those from whom he had stolen. Therefore, he shall live. In fact, verse 16, none of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is just and right. He shall surely live. Now, that doesn't mean that those sins have disappeared. No, he has sinned, will continue to sin because of his old Adam, but they will not be remembered. It reminds us of both a passage from Jeremiah as well as the book of Hebrews where God says 
that forgiveness means he will no longer remember your sins. Now, of course, God is omniscient, which means there's nothing he forgets. So how can he say he won't remember your sins? What it means is that he will not be held accountable for his sins. That's what it means. None of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. So it's very clear from the Bible. When God remembers your sins, then you get negative consequences due to those sins. And it could be even a negative consequence that you are unaware of. You may have lost your salvation, but you're not particularly caring about that because you don't love Christ anyway. And so you do things, receive negative consequences, but are unaware of those negative consequences. That's how bad unbelief is. Now, verse 17, God is reminding Ezekiel what Israel will say. He says, Yet your people say, The way of the Lord is not just, when it is their own way that is not just. You see, they believe, well, look, if I worship on the Sabbath, if I give a tithe, and if I follow the ceremonial laws, I'm just. Why would God, therefore, not save me? His way is not just. But they forget that their own way is not just when, as he said before, they count on their righteous deeds to save them. No. Therefore, it is their own way that is not just. Verse 18. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. Now, what does it mean to turn from your righteousness? It doesn't mean that you stop doing good works, but you are no longer doing fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that's a good work that's motivated by the Holy Spirit. You are now doing good works with an ulterior motive to make you look good, to give you a good reputation, maybe to be more comfortable in this life, looking to the flesh rather than to the spirit. So when a righteous turns from his righteousness, where did that come from? Well, look at Abraham. He was given a promise that Isaac would be born of him and Sarah, even though they were way past childbearing age. Guess what? He believed the promise, and he was declared righteous. Notice that it wasn't due to a good work that he was declared righteous, but to good faith. He trusted the promise 
of God. So when it says, when the righteous turns from his righteousness, that's the righteousness that Jesus has given him. And he does injustice, which means he doesn't repent of his sins. He shall die from it. When the wicked, though, turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he shall live by them. How do you turn from your wickedness? You repent of your sins, and that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And then God reminds Ezekiel what the people are saying. Yet they say, the way of the Lord is not just. And God says, O house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to his ways. Now, what does that mean? Does his ways refer to whether or not he's doing good works or fruit of the Holy Spirit? No, whether or not his ways include faith in the promises of God and the sure gift of the forgiveness of sins through which God no longer holds us accountable for our sin. That's the good news of Ezekiel chapter 33 and a wonderful, wonderful summary of the distinctions between law and gospel. So on tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, We'll be taking a look at a hymn for this third Sunday in Lent entitled, May God Bestow on Us His Grace, which means we get what we don't deserve. Tune in tomorrow. Tell your friends about it. I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.